We'll see how it goes. All right. Well, welcome to another week of the Woods Water Mizzou podcast. I'm one your co-host Skeeter, and along with me as usual are Case and Cole. How are y'all doing? Good. How do y'all, fellas? It's a uh, still pretty busy week for no Mizzou games of any kind being played, right? Yeah. No, nothing happened at all, right? Right. Let's go ahead and start with baseball. The biggest news uh, coming out of the university is <laughs> they listened to the podcast and they felt the pressure from Cole. <laughs> and right. they, couldn't, they couldn't meet your Friday deadline, but Saturday, uh, oh, Gabe DeArmond, I think he leaked it faster than what the school wanted to, but started seeing the reports of Carrick Jackson out of Memphis is our next head coach and it's out now that it's five years 3.625 million or seven hundred twenty-five thousand a year average uh didn't know a whole lot about him but after watching his press conference and kind of digging into the deep dives on him i'm pretty excited of the man we have at the spot yeah i actually totally agree um watched a full press conference with him and desiree and uh it uh, it sounds like he is a guy that really, really wanted to be here. He mentioned numerous times that this was his dream job coming yep. up. Uh, I love to hear that. So I like this hire because uh, we know that our program needs a lot of work money-wise and um, facility-wise. And to me, it seems like that's absolutely something that DRF wants to put in place. And I like Steve, and I don't think it's any fault of him, but I think she wanted her guy to build it. And um, I think Carrick... That's sneeze, y'all, my bad. <laughs> hit the mute button. I think I Carrick is the kind of guy that will get fundraising. He's got ties to Mizzou. He's got ties to Coach Jameson. Coach Jameson was his pitching coach at Memphis, actually. Um, and I, I think he's a great creative builder. around. I think he's going to do all the things right for that. And... Um, you know, hopefully he's one heck of a manager too. He got Southern University to the regionals uh, in 2019. I think that's no small feat. Um, so yeah, I like it. Uh, I know some people have kind of harped on his record, and he's done some building years, but he's also had some good playoff years uh, more recently than Mizzou has. So no, I like what I see. I know that he's a big dog, um, but I think we're going to make some improvements, and it's going to be all right. May I mean, people were harping on Dennis Gates' record too, though. Um, you know, when, when Desiree first hired him and, um, I like it. Uh, it's, it's exciting to have, you know, fresh, not fresh blood within the program, but a fresh leadership within the program. Um, very, very shortly after I saw that it went live, uh, texted our boy Leach and, uh, let's see my exact words were my dude, how you feeling about the hire? And his response was just got off a of zoom with him and he is badass. So you love uh, to hear that. You love to hear that you know players are excited about their their new leader, uh, their new coach. Everything that I've seen, heard, and read about him is that you know very personable guy. It seems like Desiree, you know, Reed Francois, kind of you know not only looks for someone who's more than qualified uh, for the position, but also looks for you know the, the type of leader of men uh, mentality. So it's it's exciting for sure that you know we. We haven't had this in a while. What um, Beezer was here for seven years, is that right? Yep. So, yes. You know, and for a Jameson long time, Jameson was here from '96. So right, and so it's not what we usually go through. No, it's it's a uh, it's been a while to have some fresh blood um, and fresh leadership within the uh, within the program, and pretty excited about it. 
on that article I was reading last week about uh, the Borg, Blair the Borg being brought in to help. Cole, you have a really loud bird. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a it's a cardinal. You in hear your garage. Yeah, I can I can mute it. I can you know hit my mute button if you want to. But this is Woodswater Mizzou, man. So that cardinal yeah. looking for love out there. He's he's trying to find somebody. But Blair <laughs> Blair the Borg actually was over the hiring of Carrick Jackson a year ago at the University of Memphis. Uh, so his his last two coaches that he's helped hire is the same coach at two different universities. And Coach Jackson was on the article of one of the four potential. Just I don't put a lot into it because his, he had one year at Memphis. And you don't usually see coaches leave that quick unless it is their dream job. And I, I believe – Mizzou is special to him. As soon as he got there and it, it hit him in the press conference, he started getting choked up. Like it, it's not yeah. the money; it's his love for Mizzou, and you got to love that. I didn't realize until I said the press conference that his mom worked for Mizzou in the athletic department. Yeah, how cool is that? So where does yeah. she where does she work? No, she did not anymore. Oh, she, she did, did. When, okay. when he was when he was a kid. She did. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, well, that's awesome. That that makes it even. Yeah. That makes me even happier that, you know, he got the position and, you know, I, when I hear that, obviously I'm very happy that, you know, he, he got the position. Um, I just hope that, you know, we were, we don't run into a, you know, Barry Odom, you know, hiring the true son kind of deal. Um, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't thought about that, that, you know, I hope this was. Kim Anderson. I hope this was, yeah, you know, Kim Anderson, Barry Odom, you know, the, the previous, but maybe third time's a charm. I don't know. And, yeah. you know. The RF hasn't given me a reason to doubt her thus far, so she definitely hasn't. And you got to remember that uh, they both those guys came into established programs. They had both right. come off uh, great eras of um, basketball and football. The best in the Odom situation. Uh, Carrick's not. Carrick is coming into a downtrodden, what used to be great program. This program has fallen off the map, and someone's got to be there to recruit funds, players, and boosters. And um, that's his job. So his, I mean, while I agree with you, I think the job is actually the opposite of what they, those guys had. You know what I mean? Right. They had to maintain. He's got to build. And in this situation, I think having a, you know, I went to Nebraska. I didn't go to Mizzou, but you know, someone that's close to the program, uh, having someone who's like close to the program like that, uh, historically, is maybe the better choice when you got to. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. What I was going to say. There's a lot of history there. So. Yeah. But, and also, he has D1 coaching experience. Uh, you know, he was 29 and 28 his one year at Memphis, but that was their first winning season in over six years. Uh, so that was on a very good – on a trend there. And I saw an interview with Ian Kinsler, uh, the former Mizzou great World Series champion. And 30-30, man. He, he talked about – uh, Coach Jackson is already working on bringing the Mizzou baseball alum back. And, you know, he kind of talked how he, he don't know how they got disconnected with the current team like they had been the last few years. But, man, that, that's great because Mizzou's got some guys in the league. You don't ever hear Mizzou promote it. Yeah. You know, it was – they were gone. They're they're not at Mizzou anymore. Out the door, and so it, it'll be good for the program 
if you get guys like Ian and Max and all them start talking about being a Mizzou Tiger. Who's the uh, who's the current Boston Red Sox pitcher? Um, Mizzou alum, Boston Red Sox pitcher. I know you're talking about. I can't think of his name, but yeah. Part of me wonders, so, you know, a lot of y'all know that I work out at the Columbia Regional Airport. I was working the day that, uh, you know, we brought the new head coach in. Um, and it didn't even dawn on me until, you know, I'm looking out of the tower. I'd just gotten onto a break, and I look, and I'm like, that jet that just landed that came in from Memphis now all of a sudden has a ton of <laughs> photographers all around it wearing black and gold. And so put the binos on it, and sure enough, it was him and his family. Um, but then, oddly enough, the jet that brought him in, the charter jet, came in from Boston on Monday, which I believe was the day that they introduced him um, as a new head coach. And then, you know, that jet was there all day long and then departed back out to, uh, well, I'm actually not sure where they went to, but part of me wonders if it was that uh, the picture. I don't, are you looking it up right now, Case? That name I'm is trying. completely slipping me. We uh, have sure. a Gibson that pitches for the Orioles. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. Either way, I, um, I don't know if that was, you know, one of the, just happened to be a coincidence that that same jet was back in. Um, Tanner Hawk. Yes, I don't know. I don't know if he was there for, you know, kind of introductory. I think I looked that day and they were playing in, like, Toronto. And I don't know if he was part of the rotation or not. But anyway, we went kind of down a rabbit hole on that one. But it, it'll be good to bring those guys back and connect them with today's program. Uh, also, it's a great way to get NIL money. I mean, I don't think Max Scherzer's hurting in the pocketbook. <laughs> I don't know his, his spending habits, but his contracts are public. <laughs> he's, he's got he's got a bank account somewhere. So let's go ahead and transition into basketball. Uh, today's news, Isaiah Mosley, uh, I guess, forgoing his collegiate eligibility and pursuing a professional career. So loved the five games he was a Mizzou Tiger and dressed out and played, but a big what if. Yeah, absolutely. Man. You know what, guys? Um I know this is not the kind of uh, sediment I've seen on social media today, but I'm happy for him. I hope he has a better opportunity to support his family going pro. Um, I really was excited for his time here in Mizzou. I mean, this is no offense whatsoever, but um, he, he didn't play that much for us. He didn't produce that much for us. I mean, he did when he played, but he couldn't always play. And, man, I think we got a lot of talent at guard on this team, like a ton. Um, I know, you know, I think people get stuck on the what if of Isaiah, but we never got that. So we're not replacing that. We're replacing what we had in Mosley. And I'll bet dollars to donuts that Bates and Grill are that and then some. To me, the, it's I'm more concerned about replacing Hodge. Hodge is gonna is the absolute bigger necessity. He was an insane on defense and great at three-pointers. What we, really need, what we really need to be thinking about, because we get stuck on the name because Mosley was such a big get for us, is can can Grill replace Hodge's three-point shooting and can uh, or excuse, can base replace his shooting, can Grill replace his steals? Because that's what we gotta that's what we gotta replace. I look um, for Sharp, the Colorado State transfer to kind of take over the Des Moines role. 
Yeah, absolutely. I actually think he might. Uh, it's going to change. The lineup's going to change because you know yeah. different players. But I think um, Tanji uh, is yeah. going to be John Tanji is going to be the uh, our new leading scorer. He's going to be our go-to guy. Um, he's a bucket getter. Every highlight I've watched from him at Colorado State, he's an absolute bucket getter. And I think that's who the offense is going to go through majority. But uh, you know, Noah's going to drop twenty on guys, and so you know, so is. Uh, honor like those guys are gonna are gonna ball as well so there's there's definitely points we get out there but yeah i mean that's what i think we can we will we'll go on we'll be okay well and i mean dennis hasn't given us a a reason to not trust him um he i think we're like sixth right now in whatever metric that you that you look at for um you know grading the transfers that have come in thus far um i would probably argue that we weren't on any kind of top 10 list last year for for any kind of you know ranking structure um grading the incoming class so yeah as much as it it stings that you know the columbia kid that went to most state and then ended up coming back here had what we've already covered it we're not going to beat that dead horse um that it sucks that he couldn't play in that mix too now with you know in recent memory of michael porter jr and now Mosley that you know ended up coming to Mizzou and and didn't uh, didn't get to see the court a whole lot uh, for you know for completely different reasons. Um, but yeah, I think you're I think you're right. John Tanjay, Caleb Grill, um, even the kid that's uh, that's coming out of uh, JUCO. I, I think that these kids are He's Kurt baller, Lewis. Yeah, yeah, yeah Lewis Kurt Lewis. Um, I think that these guys are they're going to do some pretty special things, and you know it all kind of boils down to who they have, you know, coaching them and leading them, um, and, and Dennis Gates. And I, I think that we're missing, you know, arguably that well, we haven't even talked about it yet, but the biggest one physically, um, that we brought in, um, in Vanover, I mean, I, yep. I fell in the cracks. I forgot all about that. That was a, that was a, a huge get. It's something that we needed. I, yeah. I don't care if he scores a bucket as long as he's grabbing, you know, He's grabbing rebounds. That's all we need him to do because grab we have other some ball. rebounds, play some defense in the paint. That's exactly. all I need from you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, and part of me wonders if that's what Dennis Gates said. You know, we got a lot of scores on this team. Um, we lack physical height, um, and, and we need you know him to come in now. Him and Majak. Uh, Vanover can shoot a three now. I watched his highlights from <laughs> Oral Roberts last year, and he can yeah. shoot a three. Yeah, no, he can. He's got a nice stroke for a seven foot five guy. He shoots pretty well. Yeah, you shouldn't shoot that well at seven five. So I mean, his percentages aren't going to blow you. They're like what twenty seven percent from three. It's not going to blow you away. But for a center at seven five, that's pretty damn good. Hey, with that's... his with his arm span, by the time he reaches forward, it's like a little his hands. There. Yeah. I mean, it's like a free throw for me. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. The bucket. gets a halfway there. Uh, and then also last night it came out that Kobe, we appreciate you, but the better Brown is coming back. Caleb Brown, <laughs> he entered the transport portal. Came back and out. He's coming back home. Okay. Uh, I don't know if he just didn't get anything that blew him away and he just felt like coming back to Como or Coach Gates recruited him back, uh, but he is back. So uh, excited for that. My, my one thing on Mosley, I did want to bring up NIL. Are these 
legal binding contracts now. Like if a player comes in and doesn't make the games, you know, it, it was pretty well known that Isaiah got a pretty good NIL deal to come to Mizzou. Do the people that put the money up, do they get some of that money back? How does that work? You know, that, that's what NIL yeah. has opened this Pandora's box. Man, I have, I wondered that all year last year when he wasn't playing. Because you're right, it was it was made known. Uh, basketball writers let us know the only reason he's at Mizzou is because he's getting paid well. And, I mean, you look at it, they didn't get their money's worth, you know? Um, no. So, no, that's super That's super interesting. We'll never know the answer. I mean, we won't know the answer to that probably for years. I'm sure it'll come out, get leaked out, you know, later on. But that's a great question, Skeeter. I would love to answer to as well. Yeah, I don't have an. I don't have an. <laughs> we don't know, but it's, it is super interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I don't think on Isaiah. Hopefully, it won't be this, but eventually, NIL is probably going to lead to some legal battles over money. Oh, uh, absolutely! If it's yeah. not already. And then also the the women got a huge transfer for girls. I don't know if y'all saw this, Literally. but they got a a six five girl it's as tall to as I am. In. Uh, I'm not. It's Milkovic or something it's, like that. It's, it's Romanian, like Croatian or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Croatian. So uh, that's a, that's a big get for Coach Robin and company there. I'm excited. I hope I can meet her at a free game because I just want to meet a woman as tall as I am. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's that's wild. Yeah. But and then Vanover. One thing I didn't realize, he went to Cal before he went to Arkansas. Cal, so we Arkansas, are actually his, Oral Roberts. We are his fourth school. So uh, the man comes with his bags packed, I assume. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, this is last year. This is last year raw. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, unless he's trying to go overseas um, or go pro, this is, uh, yeah, this is the final stop. So. Anything else on basketball that we we missed? I, with Isaiah going, does this open up another scholarship? Or because I thought Caleb if, coming back filled the last scholarship. Yeah, part of me I, wonders if that was like the. I don't know. That's tough to say because there was so much that happened with basketball in such a short amount of time. You know, you the Vanover. Do you think Caleb's a scholarship, or do you think Caleb's a preferred walk on? I believe he is probably a preferred walk on. I do too. Um, and then with the Vanover commitment, I would imagine he's probably on scholarship because I don't know how I don't know how hot of a commodity he was in the portal. Um, yeah. I know there were a couple schools after him, but and then with Mosley, um, you know he's talented enough that I I do believe he can play at the professional level in some aspect. Um, you know, is he going to be a first round draft pick in the NBA? You know, based off of what his tape. The only tape that he has on, you know, on the books right now being a um, handful of games here. And then, you know, of course, Missouri State. Um, I don't I don't believe it's enough to get him drafted. But um, that's not to say that there's been a bunch of, you know, Mizzou greats that have played overseas. So and, and have had pretty good careers. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and touch on a couple uh, football here. We. We bring in a, a assistant wide receiver coach, uh, Coach Key. 
not really exactly sure what the first name is, Keon or or somewhere in there, Williams, uh, from Missouri Southern down there in Joplin. In case you said you saw where a lot of Missouri Southern Lions were not happy to lose Coach Key. I don't know a lot, but I've got a personal friend that works for Missouri Southern, and uh, he said they were they were upset to lose him down there. That he'd done a lot of good things for their offense. Well, that's good to have somebody that they're upset about losing. And then Coach Al Pogue uh, already is our DB coach, but. He got the title today of assistant head coach that was previously Marcus Johnson, correct, the offensive line coach that left yep. to go to Purdue. Yep. So uh, that's about all I got on football there. All right. Yeah, I know uh, Night at the Zoo is tonight. Um, so keep an eye out for, you know, offers, commitments. Uh, Nate, our boy Nate, uh, had mentioned that this morning in the group chat that – that was going on tonight, and then uh, they have a big recruiting weekend this weekend, but the really big one is that third weekend in June, uh, I believe the 23rd and 24th. So football football recruiting stuff's about to heat up, although we've talked about it on this podcast. We don't know how much that means anymore because kids will just decommit. So hopefully with, that, uh, yeah, hopefully with that work that they did in the state capitol um, a few weeks ago, kind of pays dividends to uh to this recruiting weekend especially to those to those in-state kids absolutely it's almost time to get into football speculation and previewing the upcoming season like I'm, i'm ready for it yeah well case i believe we're good to bring in the guest for this week correct yes absolutely uh, so we're going to guest today, uh, too. This is uh, Tactical Approach Outdoors. You may have seen their YouTube stuff, uh, their Instagram. Um, they got great videos on there. Uh, this is Austin Stone and Dakota Stone. Uh, they're the big content makers on there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they do a lot of cool videos. I, I'll be honest, it's a little personal why I like their stuff. is Their stuff is, is pretty real. It's, it's uh, videos about, hey, I got... I just got off work. I got two hours to hunt, you know, because I got off work early on a Friday. And then uh, this is Dakota's that when he goes and slays a deer. Like, this is that. This is that. They do good. They do high level hunting. They know what they're doing. But also, it's in the parameters of the, hey, we're real good. We're regular guys that got regular jobs. You know, this isn't our, this isn't our entire livelihood here. And I relate to that because, you know, I'm working these, you know, we work 50 hour weeks to get as much hunting time as you can. We don't, uh, we don't all live on the Primo's budget or something like that. But yeah, I don't want to take too much there. You guys introduce yourselves. Excited to have y'all. What's going on, fellas? Thanks for having us on. So I'm Austin, and this is Dakota. We're the owners of Tactical Approach Outdoors. Um, Tactical Approach Outdoors is a deer hunter education and habitat consulting business that, that we've created. Um, we do a lot of um, online education, you know, you mentioned our YouTube channel. All of our personal hunting is public land, self-filmed, and we just get after it, man. We love sharing our tactics and strategies that go into all of our hunts. Um, you know, we don't have this massive highlight reel where we've got, you know, a super crazy managed property that you could just all, – all you see is a cornfield and you got this 200-inch buck walking – you know, for half an hour over to your stand. It, it happens fast and it happens up close. 
So, you know, you mentioned that Dakota's buck this year, he'll get into that story in a second, but you know, that's just real deal stuff. So um, here soon, we've actually got in a week and a half, um, a whitetail workshop coming up here in Lacine, Kansas, which is going to be really exciting. June 17th. Yeah, June, June 17th. 17th. Yeah. So Father's Day weekend. So that's going to be a pretty exciting deal. We've got, um, I'm going to keep it a little bit smaller group, but we've still got some spots open. So hopefully we can get some, some more local deer hunters. Um, if you're a very beginner, don't hesitate to come on out. And if you got some experience, come out too. Yeah. So it's going to be, sure. it's going to be a well-rounded group of guys. Uh, just so our listeners know, what are some of the stuff you're going to be going, you're going, to be going over in that class? Um, a little bit of everything. Predominantly, we're going to hit mobile hunting. So, you know, I'll go, go into my full strategies and tactics, but my whole process, my blueprint to success per se. And then, you know, I, I'm going to touch on, so he'll get in there too, touch on some success stories, mm-hmm. what we did, what led into that, that success. You know, may, maybe there are some failures at the beginning that led into um, the, the harvest of that specific deer, you know, last year with my Candace buck, it was a full year mm-hmm. adventure where there's a lot of mistakes made in the beginning and learning this new property and learning the deer herd, making adjustments and then patterning that buck. So um, we're just going to go to going to go the, over the blueprint. We're going to talk a lot of mobile hunting. We're going to get our saddles out. Anybody interested in learning how to saddle hunt, that's going to be a big one we'll touch on. You know, if you've got a saddle and you want to use it more and you want to bring your bow even and learn how to shoot out of it in, you know, different angles, saddle's a little bit of a learning curve. So it's worth it, though. It It is is completely worth it once you get it. Once you get your setup and your mobile, it's nine day different than trying to carry in even like a 12 pound hang on tree stand. Like for an all basic, they have their benefits but a saddle is just i got mine three years ago and i've been fortunate to take two deer out of it and every single one of those deer has all been because of being able to be mobile and get set up and make a change within 30 40 yards of the original tree that i was looking at in the first place and i think saddle hunting is kind of turning into what everyone's wanting to go to or at least that mobile idea and the thing is, though, is we like we've been trying to get mobile for years. We've been trying to lighten up our load, and we've bought so many different things that it's basically like when you come to our camp, it's we're giving you our four or five years of trial and error to get to how you know mobile we are now. And so, I mean, we're kind of fast tracking some people who maybe might take four years to you know get to that same spot and it's like here's here's now like we got it laid out we have it laid out it works for us and quite frankly we love helping people enjoy the outdoors a lot better and if that means wiping a little less sweat off your brow i'm down <laughs> yeah that's Absolutely. right yeah yeah um oh, go ahead cole sorry well i was just gonna say one thing that you know you're absolutely right. Like the mobile game is just absolutely exploded. You know, whether it's the saddle game, um, you know, ultralight um, tree stands like Lone Wolf and, you know, those companies that have kind of built their brand around um, around mobile hunting. Was it so before you guys got into that, what was kind of y'all's um, approach to it? Was it, you know, you guys had, you know, say 80, 100 acre farm, whatever the size is and, 
you know, you could really only get set up in these certain spots you were always seeing deer in other spots or, or what's kind of the background on that? So that's a great question because even though we've been saddle hunting only for about three to five years now, we've always kept some kind of mobile hunting in our main routine. We just carry around the ridiculous amount of weight, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be, you know, I hunted out of a climber for a lot, lot of years and, um, we had a few other heavy stands where we needed to make immediate adjustments if we wanted to ha- harvest a deer period, much less a, a specific deer that we were on where, you know, our postseason scouted, we go in and we'd set a stand and thinking that that's going to be where we end up hunting, where in reality, we actually almost never hunt that stand because while we're there, we observe movement elsewhere and we make the adjustment. So, so we've always been, mobile hunters to some kind of extent it's just that we've now we've accepted it even more and we've made, made that such a main part of our our routine we rarely hunt the same tree multiple times we, we might hunt it two three times tops but rarely do we hunt the same tree and especially when we get to hunt so many states that we're hunt, hunting and um I talk a lot in my content about having a lot of options with properties, you know, having four or five properties of state on hand. I mean, you can't load up. You're talking about having a hundred tree stands. If you're, if you're going to go preset, you know, four or five properties in four states. So, I mean, it's this, that's just unrealistic. So we, we, it's the mobile hunting is really where it's at. Yeah, That's one thing that one thing that I've like, I, I haven't gotten into the mobile game yet. I've last year I almost did it, and I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna you know ride with. I have, I'm like I said, I talked to you guys about this before. I'm in my garage, up in my attic. There's like I don't know, half a dozen tree stands. There's half a dozen tree stands in my dad's shop, and so there's still some tree stands out there on private property that I'm like, you know what, it's June. Um, I might as well just leave those, and when I go to hunt them for the first time, I'll just change the straps out. Yep. Because at this point, like, you know, that I I might as well just leave them. Um, But one thing that I've found, and I've gotten a lot more, uh, just me personally, I've gotten a lot more, um, I guess, ambitious. I'm like, you know what, if I blow deer out of this area that I'm wanting to go hunt for the first time, you know, the bump and dump, you know, there's the the bump and dump theory of, well, I'm just going to go in there and hunt them, and if I bump them, then I'll just set up there and, and, you know, hunt that same buck. Um, Have you guys found that... I guess for me personally, trusting um, the area that, you know, I guess trusting that gut feeling. This past season, I did that a lot. I was like, you know what, this looks like a good area. You know, whether it's a bunch of pinch points um, or, you know, funnels or whether it's a food source. Um, have you guys found that in that mobile game where you guys are just trusting your gut and getting set up in an area has that uh, led to a lot of success for you? Yeah, I mean, um, a lot of that's just kind of knowing the time of year, what to look for, which will lead you into why you're wanting to set up in a certain location. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the confidence you have in your setup. Right. Because if if you're going out your morning before daylight and you're just kind of like, oh, man, I don't know if I'll see a deer today, it's probably going to end up being a long sit and you're not going to be very mentally, very mentally completely locked in the whole day. And being able to move like that you can trust your gut and just stay in the same spot 
Or you can just also be sitting there and 10 o'clock hits and you see a hot doe come by 40 yards away. And she's just barely off the trail that you're, you got your shots on. And as a bow hunter, we all know that a lot of our shots are 20 yards, you know, Mm -hmm. 30 yards. Absolutely. And we hunt some thick stuff. We hunt some really thick cover. And quite frankly, our deer 15 to 25. Yeah. That's, hey, you guys are talking my language. Yeah. Anything over 30, I'm like, ugh, I don't know, man. That's just not my, that's not what I'm comfortable with. And usually, especially especially here in Missouri, we have so much overhanging brush that, like, it doesn't take much to deflect your arrow. Yeah, that mid-story stuff, man. Like, especially if you're on a property that hasn't been managed, that mid-story is, can make or break you for sure. Yep. But, yeah, I mean, just trust your gut. I mean, if, if you're seeing fresh sign, hunt it. You know, if. If you're feeling doubtful about a place, move. Yeah. You know, that's that's the the perks about hunting is like, man, there's more than one oak tree on a property. It's just let's find the one that that you get the most activity by. And I got one foot for you on that. Um, you know, you're so bump and dump, dump wise and be, being mobile, like what he was saying with being staying fresh on sign. When I went into this um, Kansas hunt, I actually had my original tree set up 60 yards away. And I was going back to hunt this tree, but while I was walking in in the morning, I knew there were some other scrapes on my way in, so I kind of scouted before light and came across this tree I ended up actually setting up in. It's huge, massive scrapes, fresh, dug out, but my camera wasn't there. So I went down, checked the scrape I was hunting. It's dry. So I, I went back and just set up on the tree. Rather than setting the tree that was already kind of ready to go, I went ahead and just took that mobile setup. I was able to take that mobile setup and just move it 60 yards down and, and set that tree and ended up a week later shooting my Kansas buck. So, um, and I'm kind of excited about taking this into Kentucky. Me and Dakota learned this quite a bit. We ended up on a really, really big deer. We bumped him once and figured out where he was bedded and we ended up, Bumping him two other times. So so three day, days in a row, we get I we just couldn't get close enough. We just for whatever reason we couldn't get close enough because we were we didn't really know exactly where he was at. So knowing that this buck was actually there and giving us a little bit of a leeway, him and I were gonna use that kind of to our advantage, maybe earlier than that, not be so afraid of accidentally bumping a deer, figuring out exactly where he is right then, right when we bump him set up some cameras and and figure out some escape routes and pinch points near really close to that where he can't see us get in mm-hmm. and and then we can take that ditch and, or ridge and stay a little hidden just enough and use that 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 super quiet mobile setup and get into a tree close to him without actually him seeing us so so knowing how they how this buck ended up reacting with us where he was in the exact same spot three days in a row we might use that to our advantage where, you know, we already have him pegged. Um, if he shows back up on camera this year, we have a very good idea about where he's going to be. But, um, you know, if we were to go in blind again and find a new buck, we might know, okay, he might give us a couple days of leeway and just make sure that the one time we bump him, we figure it out without being too intrusive, but we figure it out. And then the next time we come in, we can set up on them just far enough away 
that with the correct wind that he's not seeing us or smelling us come into that stand bit basically so so he actually gave away a lot of how maybe these deer are working on that the specific property where that bump and dump technique might work into our advantage yeah yeah i totally get that access is key man mm -hmm. oh yeah i'll say we got we got two strikes on the third one he didn't stick around for the rest of our hunt <laughs> <laughs> They don't get that big being dumb. That's for no sure. Way. Exactly. No way. No. And also, I think we—I've already got him on camera. Yeah. yeah. So I—I just—I just went out a week and a half ago and set cameras, and I got a really good deer. It's early in growth, obviously. I've got a really solid deer already on camera, and it fits that he's using that exact same area, exact same trail. So if fingers crossed it's him yeah if he is this yeah. is two years after we hunted him and he'll be be a monster yeah that's <laughs> gonna be an absolute monster by that point yeah oh yeah well guys myself i hunt public land uh down here in arkansas and my last three deer have all been like first day hunting my spot you know not going back to the same spot. Actually, I've I've discovered the longer I go back to the same spot on public land, the less deer I see. Uh, I I don't know if it's just they they pick up that scent and they avoid that trail or, or whatever it is. But uh, what are what are things y'all look for when you go to public land to uh, you know, it, if you don't have time to go out and scout before deer season or, or before your hunt, what are some, some key things you look at as far as going in and knowing where to go in the dark to find your, your spot? You know, I mean, of course, we do a lot of online e-scouting with our properties before we ever set foot on them. So if we were to go kind of in the dark, which we've done that a lot, um, one, we're trying to find an area that possibly is a little bit, some weird access, like a little bit harder to get area, but I love to find an area that is hard to reach that's really close to a limited resource. Whether they, if that limited resource, you know, if that property's got a lot of water, then water's not a limited resource. You know, is a crop field a limited resource? Um, is, you know, with depending on where, where you are, in Arkansas, maybe you're hunting a lot more pines and maybe some good mast trees could be a, a limited resource. So while walking into the dark, you know, we're we're not going to get in probably as early as we typically do because we don't know where the heck we're going if it's that if it's that case. But um, definitely looking for a big, solid oak tree or pine, you know, something, some kind of limited resource on pinch points. For sure. Yeah. And to counter on that too, for just for myself, like I really, I focus on funnels and pinch points, like right off the bat is what I try to look for on new properties. And then after I find certain ones that may pique my interest, then I see what's around it, what kind of edges and soft edges. And that's, that's where I quickly dive into spots. And then from there it's on foot process. Like there's, there's, there's nothing that beats on foot, you know, hands on, eyes on observations. And um, th that's the key to it, really, is 
that's where your mobile setup comes in handy is if you can just drag that thing in with you, even if you're going in blind one morning, you can get in at gray light, you know, and get to the general area you want to potentially hunt. And then you spend the first hour of your morning locating a hot scrape if it's yep. the right time of year, you know, and then set up on that and then just observe. And then that's kind of where you make 40 yard, 50 yard increments. Even if it's just a ridge over with a bow, it makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Case, what, what else did you have to talk with them? Um, yeah. I'm pulling it up real quick. Sorry about that. You're good. Um, yeah, I actually want to twitch it on this because I saw some videos kind of interesting. Obviously, you guys hunt uh, Missouri predominantly, but um, what are some of those other out of states you're going in? You guys are going to, and like, how's that process work for you guys? Are you doing some mobile scouting? Are you doing? Uh, I guess how are you finding these public spaces in other states? A lot of research. So, yeah. so I, I'm I am on Onyx um, a lot more than I would like to admit. <laughs> And, and trying to find, I've, I've kind of narrowed down a process of the kinds of properties I like to find. I like to find properties with a lot of edge, a lot of diversity, especially if I've never been there. These are brand new prop properties. So, so Illinois this year when I went to scout there is a brand new property. Um, Kansas, even though I hunted Kansas this year, I'm going to a brand new property. Yeah. And then um, North Dakota this year, that's just, I wasn't able to scout it yet. That'll be just a freelance hunt once I get up there in October. So I'm looking for diversity. I'm looking for edge. I'm looking for di- for diversity. That just helps me figure out if the deer are there. Like that, that's a little bit easier to hunt. It's going to attract more people. But just because it attracts more people doesn't mean that the bucks aren't there. Those bucks are going to figure out how to live there and survive. So that then turns into i need to figure out how those bucks are surviving on that specific property and go from there so th- this year you know um i'm chasing the whitetail slam so i'm going to be hunting five different states this year and knowing that i need to do a boatload of postseason scouting so every state except one north, north dakota i've already got scouted heavily i know i'm very confident and where I'm going and kind of what the property looks like at least. And then once deer season gets here, him and I both, we do a lot of in-season scouting. We, we don't just rely on our postseason. That at least gets us going in the right direction. And then we adjust to what's fresh. So when it comes down to a new property, rarely are we actually setting foot on a property in the dark that we've never at least driven. We, we've at least seen the property during day, daylight, if not actually scouted it a little bit before we even carry our gear into the property. Usually we'll, we'll spend a day beforehand. If it's a bad weather day, we'll spend a couple days scouting it before we even hunt it and make a set. And then we'll, we'll, set, we'll set up in the better area when that cold front starts to hit, you know, as we've planned it. Do you have something? No, I mean, it's, I also, I mean, I think a key factor is just use, you can pressure to your advantage. And it's something that's kind of overlooked is some of these big, some of these properties that people from all over out of states come and hunt. You can still kill big deer off that piece of property, even though there's a bunch of people hunting it. It's just, you have to find that 
the finger that they're escaping. They're edging the property somewhere. You know, it's the middle ground. Yeah, you have to find the middle ground, and sometimes it's something as simple as you you know a little a little finger finger of trees connecting one thicket to another thicket, and it barely crosses into public. It's like you got three hundred yards of a tree line right there that you can hunt. You know, and it, you got to find you got to find the, the pockets of deer activity. And the thing is, is they'll tell you their yeah. activity will show you where they're at. And it's kind of funny because the mobile game has increased so much. It's it makes this public land game just a little bit more fun because guys are getting so deep that there's they're walking over places. So you still got the guys that aren't walking very far. And then you've got more guys walking further. So but those guys walking further are walking all the way back. So it's like, there's this interesting <laughs> little pockets and middle ground. That if you pay attention and you let the deer tell you where they're at, then you're going to be actually on the deer that those guys walking all the way back think they're on. So it's, it's very, very interesting actually how the mo mobile game has actually created an interesting vibe on public land where there's more, deer hunters out there but these bucks are still surviving they're not being not all of them most of them aren't being killed and a lot, a lot of guys are passing on younger bucks still because they think there's a 170 around every tree so yeah. so you know it's it's creating an interesting game uh, on public where you know if you're if you kind of pay attention you find those little pockets of movement and then you don't over hunt it like skeeter was saying on your first sit you go in and you make your harvest that's that's the way that's the way it works so that's that's why we also don't hunt mul a tree multiple times throughout the season much less multiple times in a row just because by the time you get to that third day a lot of times you've you've messed up your your hunt so you, you need to go readjust yeah i'd say the three things that when i'm when i'm looking at either a new private piece a new public piece the three main things for me would be i like to hunt the does a lot and what i don't mean actually harvest them and don't get me wrong i'm gonna shoot i'm gonna shoot some does uh, but hunt the does find the you guys touched a lot on diversity and diversity is one thing that i really like to key in on because say you have a uh, 10 acre oak flat right or you know multiple ridges over and over and over that are just nothing but white oaks pin oaks black oaks and then obviously you know those deer are gonna key in on those at certain times but the diversity in where either a cedar thicket meets that um, meets that oak flat or you have the you know black oaks for nothing but you know 200 yards and then you get into three or four clusters of white oaks right which we know deer like to you know key in on those white oaks one thing of the oak species I really like to key in on is chicapin. Um, those little teeny tiny um, acorns that are, you know, about the size of your pinky nail. Um, I've seen deer walk past white oaks to get to a chicapin tree. Um, persimmons that are mixed in, you know, amongst those, those wetter areas. Um, just something that you know that it's like a, it's almost like a tree for them. They yeah. could browse all day long on green veg or corn or cut beans but it's that one thing that, you know, when persimmons start dropping, you better be hunting them because every deer in the county is going to be keen in on those persimmons. Um, and then that kind of leads me into my last thing is historical either encounters and or success. 
Um, you know, just because you kill one deer on one spot, it's not like, okay, well, you know, this spot's done. I can cross this off the list and go, you know, try and fight it. And if that's your thing, hey, go for it. But that buck was there for a reason, whether it was a hot doe that brought him there, which then, you know, goes back to my first point of hunting the does. Um, or, you know, that buck was a big buck and he lived to be, you know, big buck for a while. Um, he was in that area and, and thrived in that area. And so it's pretty likely that, you know, another good shooter is going to be in that area for some reason. Yeah. And, um, they're, they're there for a reason, like you said. So I like to bounce a lot. I like to go, go to a lot of new places. Um, I not very often have I found an area outside of the rut. I'm not talking rut movement right now. I'm talking purposefully killing a deer in his home core area outside of the rut. So, um, another deer will move into that area. Now, if he's what I'm after, I don't know if he will be yet. He, he may take a couple years. So, so it may be the kind of thing where I, I harvest the mature buck in that specific spot. And, you know, obviously a mature buck's going to run with one or two younger bucks or keep them <laughs> close. So it might take a couple years or a few years for those mature bucks to grow to the age that they're shootable for what I'm after or, you know, if they don't get killed. And then if something happens to where maybe I got a buck that does immediately move in, that's, that's just to be determined. So I don't bank on historical spots producing every single year. Um, Dan, we keep tabs on them. Yeah, we keep, keep tabs, tabs on them. And, and sometimes we will find that they get hot again. And if that's the case, we'll go back in. But And, we, and then if that's the case, we know exactly where we're going. We know exactly how they use that property, what trees to set. We know how to hunt them. But um, until that location shows that we've got a hot buck you know that, that we've got a buck using that area now if we switch to rut movement that's a whole nother beast mm -hmm. because you're hunting funnels you're hunting doe herd and you're hunting areas where, where you could have a buck that's a non-resident buck that the only reason he's, he's on your property is because he found a hot doe and he's going to be there for a week now if that's the case and you and you have that you need to jump on him and you go in to kill him you know, but you can't, um, at least I, I don't look at banking on that every single year. I want to shoot a buck in his core area just because I, I have a little bit more control, I guess, over mm -hmm. the outcome versus hoping a, a good buck shows up in that rut area for a couple days or a week. But in South Dakota, we've got this tree that, that we've set up every single year. For a three to seven day, day period, and honestly, on a two day period, a shooter buck runs by this exact same tree every single year. So, but that is specifically rut movement. We we will ne never see get a second picture of that buck. If we're lucky, we might get two pictures. But we got one picture this shooter of a shooter buck running by the exact same day, if not the day after. And I mean, I've shot two well, two of the bucks on the wall are from that same exact tree that's one of the only trees we've actually encountered that we've yeah. had that kind of ultra predictable historical 
luck on because something will happen. Some guy, somebody will find it, push the deer out. You know, when something will, will happen or we find deer over here, we don't hunt this other spot for a couple of years, you know, so that, that could happen too. But um, we have had that happen, but usually it's, it's, we find a spot and we kill them or if we don't kill them, yeah. we're after them again next year. Yep. Um, as we go through this, uh, I kind of alluded to Coda's uh, story on shooting that deer right, at, right after work or getting out of work and driving two hours. Uh, that's in your video. I know that. Everyone go there uh, their YouTube and watch that. But, um, man, that's so inter- I, I like that because, man, i got to play the like, same game where I got on a Friday, you maybe cheat out of work a little early, and you haul tail to, your, to a stand or something like that. Just get a little in there. But, um yeah, just give us give us the play to play on that hunt and uh, and what went down there. Man, it it was a uh, Monday that whole weekend I was hunting. I mean, obviously, what else am I gonna do if I still got if I got tags, right? And mm-hmm. I got I got eyes on a really nice deer. I got eyes on a really nice deer. Had me pumped up, and I was like, I got to get back in my tree stand as soon as I can this week. And fortunately for me, Monday I can actually kind of like I got off at a pretty good time. And um, I drove, what was it, what, hour, hour and a half? Every bit of it. Yeah, hour, mm-hmm. it's about an hour, hour and a half drive. And I just hauled up to my tree, man. It was, I, I got up there long enough for maybe a two-hour sit, you know, but I knew I knew I wasn't going to have much time, but it was worth it. It's, it was November 8th. You literally never freaking know what's going to happen. And I knew I was on a major, 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 major pinch point, and I was surrounded by hot scrapes. And I just, I was like, it's going to happen. And I texted my brother that I was like, dude, I was like, I'm, I was like, as long as I get in there before they're moving, I was like, I'm killing something tonight, dude. I was like, I feel it. The weather felt great. And I got in there and uh, luckily I didn't spook anything walking in. But uh, basically I was just hunting a small piece of, I was hunting a small piece of public not far from my house because I wanted the availability of going hunting potentially after work. And I couldn't drive up to uh, option A property, you know. And so I had this property that kind of we grew up grew up hunting on when I was 10. And went up and scouted it and found some really hot sign. And next thing you know, dude, uh, what was it? Uh, four, about 4.45, he yeah. came by. About 4.45, he came by. Just gave me a perfect, gave me a perfect shot. It happened so quick, I couldn't even get my main camera on. <laughs> I that's think, crazy. Yeah, I like that, that in the video because you're like, oh crap, he's here. <laughs> yeah. you know, there was a doe ran by. She ran by and she cut this corner. And next thing you know, I was like, there's some legs coming behind her. And I literally, my camera was turning on. It had this like red button and I'm trying to press the record, just press it, press it. And it got to the point where I was like, if I don't, if I don't put a, you know, get my bow back right now, I'm not going to get a shot on this deer. And so my net, my, my hunter over videographer kicked in and I decided, I decided to shoot that deer. And I tell you, it's, it, I was very, very fortunate to get him. And I was, I was beyond tickled with him. And I'm glad, glad that the options are out there that if you put in the work, you can have a place to go hunt right after work, (laughs) right after work, close to your house. There's properties everywhere that you can literally get on a hidden funnel, a hidden corner and be seeing deer, on on nights that you potentially would just be like oh well, i can't get out tonight 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, that's why, like, access to me is so huge because if you have that spot and you're like, you know, say the one thing that was hanging you up was like, well, you know, I would go hunt this spot. The wind's perfect. This is perfect. This and the other. Sunsets at 630, but it's 430 now. That's plenty of time to get in a tree, right? As yeah. long as your access is golden and, like, you know, it doesn't even really have to be bulletproof. Now, if it is bulletproof, hey, more power to you. Yeah. Right. But if you have, like, if you have that spot that's money and whatever you can do, if you think to yourself, like, there's nothing else I can do to improve this, you can always improve your access. Whether it's, like, if it's something as simple as parking your truck in a different spot to where deer are. I've told, I've told the guys this on this podcast. We pattern deer, but deer pattern us just as easily, right? You, t- you hear all these stories about guys like, oh, well, you know, I just thought it, decided to set up 100 yards off of the trailhead and killed this giant. Well, it's because that giant's bedded in an area that is watching you go bebopping through the woods. And it's like, well, I'm safe for another day. And so if you yeah. can make your access like that much better, go for it. Absolutely. Getting in there is just so much of the game. You know it I mean? is. 100%, you know, like, uh, dude. And that, that is some. So, uh, Austin Dakota, my story on this podcast has been my journey into, into bow hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I got into hunting because my father-in-law, and he is a rifle guy till his core. You know what I mean? He he He's a great hunter. He's actually he's, he's one of the best hunters I've ever met in my life, and he's taught me everything I know until I got into the bow game. And that's kind of been my own journey. Uh, but that is something you've got to learn when you're at the bow because you don't have that 100-yard playground. You know what I mean? You, yep. you get the rifle out there and, uh, you know, you got you can just sit from one edge of the field and just wait from the cross on that side and you're golden. Uh, that has been a big part for me is getting in quiet, getting in without being seen, smelled, times I'm getting in there. Uh, like Colston, where you're putting your pickup truck. Because, again, with the rifle we were going – we're going to park at the start of the farm and then we're just going to walk to our stand. Cause again, we got a giant open flat piece to just look out of not so much now. So, um, that is such a hard, a hard thing to get down when you come from just shooting rifle, uh, is that access point and get into your stand correct, correctly and quietly and on time. Well, yeah. And it's because well, like time part <laughs> seems to be, uh, something yeah. beyond- Saturdays, right? <laughs> the on-time part is a little rough, isn't it? It yeah. is. Yeah. But then again, yeah, that goes back to your access. Like, if your access is golden, you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. matter if that freaking, you know, nanny horse head doe pops out of the wood line at, you know, an hour and a half before sunset. If she doesn't see anything, you beat that nanny doe, hey, you're golden, man. Yep. You are golden. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that's why you also take her out. So she doesn't ruin any of your other hunts. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. try to put meat in freezer, boys. So I don't That's even right, care. Man. At this point, That's at this exactly point, I'm not even. I'm not even worried about antlers. I got. I got a buck from the, my rifle three years ago, and I'm just trying to put more meat in the freezer at this point. Mm-hmm. It's learning, man. It's... I mean, that's that's part of the the game. Is just the the reps. You guys are you guys are top talking sports for the fir- first part. It's re- hunting's the same way. It's repetition. That's right. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, you can't you can't go. 10 years waiting on a big giant buck thinking that you're going to kill him and you're not pulling the trigger on anything else. So you have zero practice on anything. There's way too much that can go wrong. 
Yeah, I believe that, man. That that if you're not going to pull the trigger on anything, like you're missing out on a lot of learning experiences. That once that big deer decides to actually walk by, that you're gonna you're gonna be ready for him. The last thing you want to do is have a learning experience five (laughs) years into your like bow hunting with a mega with a mega. Yeah. Yeah. And all it is, all it is, is to find out that your broadheads didn't open. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, it's a learning curve. It's still a learning curve. It's just whether it happens on a doe or a 180. You, you yep. know, it's like you didn't draw back at the right time yep. because you, you didn't practice on drawing deer. So you, you don't know when you should draw your bow versus when you shouldn't draw your bow. And this the list just kind of goes on. <laughs> and if, if we could, if we could have a list of all of our failures, dude, like over the years and stuff, it's the thing is, those without them you you would never you would never become the hunter that you are now and absolutely you know and like that's how you gotta look at it you get blown out by that mama doe because you're 10 minutes you know you're you're getting to your tree and you're 15 yards from the base of your tree and she comes out of that cedar thicket well you learn today yeah yeah (laughs) you you don't don't get in there at that time yeah we uh we had a one of the forwards for the basketball team, Noah Carter, came on, and then subsequently his dad uh, came on, and Joe uh, had some absolutely awesome stories. But he was um, kind of alluding to what you said there. He uh, got into bow hunting, and the first time he ever bow hunted, he said he had a massive buck come up in this broadside 25 yards in front of him. And he thought, oh, this is going to be easy. He pulls the bow back, <laughs> starts panicking massively, and then just whiffs completely on the deer. And he said from that point forward, he was hooked because he was like, oh, there's a, lot, there's a lot of pieces in this. Like, this, is, yeah. this, is a, this isn't just like, you know, boom, he's there, pull, pull trigger, boom, we're done. Yeah. No, like, he's like, whoa, there's a lot to this. And this is, a, this is an actual, like, you know, hunt. So I, I agree. But to what you said, all those failures, at least in my opinion, are why I keep coming back. Uh, I'm going to keep going back to bow hunting. Um, we talked last week on here. I got into the 3D target shooting. I've been doing some of those tournaments because I just want something that's like an in-game rep, you know, um, seeing different angles, shoot different targets. So, yeah, I get it, man. I'm addicted now, and it's because my first real season this past season, I whiffed on a doe. So, this, I get it. That's what that's what hooks me. Well, what's funny is we talked to four different athletes in four different – well, more than four athletes, but athletes in four different sports. Um, and every single one of them said that they get a bigger thrill bow hunting because they're all bow hunters too. Yep. Um, they get a bigger thrill bow hunting than whatever they did it, like is their their biggest moment in their respective sport. Yeah. Um, and to me, that just – that put a huge smile on my face. So I was like, all right, cool. Like – it doesn't matter if you're playing D1 collegiate basketball or football. Sitting in a tree stand doing like what we get to do during the fall is bigger than that. Um, it's in your blood, man. It is, 100%. Absolutely. Really 100%. And that's something that, you know, if you walk, walk into a party and there's one other guy in there that deer hunts, you're yep. going to find him eventually. Yep. And you're going to end up only talking to that one person probably the entire time that you're there. That's so, the like, truth. it's just, you don't even have to. That's part of the fun with going to these expos and, and, you know, running the social media like we're doing and connecting with hunters 
through this business is that we've all got this common passion and desire for this this um, lifestyle and that, that's just what it's addicting it's fun it's, it is it's the the hunting community is a it's it's a brotherhood it's it's not a competition and the sooner like that. the sooner that people get off of that the better off it's going to be because it needs to just get back to if you fill the tag congratulations you just did something that very few people really actually will get to do and be or even try to do and be successful whether yep. it was a gun or a bow a yearling or a six and a half year old buck yep. it's like you you harvested you harvested a whitetail animal and that that alone is something to be extremely proud about yep. yeah i'm all about that and we preach it a lot cole specifically preaches that a lot but yeah fill freezers don't you know if, if the buck's there that's awesome but it's not always going to be there and you got to fill a freezer first Hunt how it makes you happy. Hunt how it yeah. makes you happy. That's exactly right. That's great. That's great advice. Well, all right. We got uh, gone on for an hour here, but Cole, you did not have a story for us last week on your on your wacky hunting fishing stories. I, I told one about getting a trout on a fly rod in Colorado and not wanting to get skunk, so I just ripped his poor <laughs> poor fish 100 miles an hour on the earth. Skier told the one about getting stuck in a war zone when he thought he was hunting public land. Um, but you left us on the dry on that one. So while our I buddies did. are here from Tactical Outdoor, Tactical Approach Outdoors, why don't you tell us that story? I did. Um, it's so it's technically really not my story. It's my dad's story. Um, I, I have it pulled up here because he actually typed up this full story. My dad is such a vivid storyteller, like. I don't know if you guys listen to um, uh, this country life podcast, the new one that dropped on the Bear Grease, uh, the Bear Grease feed for Meat Eater, but Brent Reeves, just a phenomenal storyteller, right? And I told my dad, I was like, "You are just like Brent Reeves because this he does not leave out a single detail." Um, I can tell the long story. I can read this long story right here, or I can tell you the uh, the brief version. So I'll let you guys choose. Why don't, you, why don't you give us a little comment of both? Don't leave any don't leave okay. any details out, but okay, I'll probably re- I'll yeah I'll refer back to this um, yeah you know just to kind of refresh my my own memory. Um, so it all starts we were we were on a hunt um, I believe it was in in West Central Texas uh, Junction Texas and um, <laughs> so the the main character of this story is Jamie. Jamie is a uh, Canadian citizen that married into uh, my grandfather's family. So my, my grandfather remarried his wife as a daughter, and then Jamie married this daughter. So that's kind of how he gets looped into this. Um, from the moment that he, you know, he is like your classic Canadian, right? Like legit missing front tooth from playing hockey, right? Like has a fake tooth. Um talks with the Canadian accent, like finishes everything with a, and just a very, very genuine person. Like you always hear Canadians are very nice people. So Jamie, um, ever since he was into the family, my family is very rich in, in hunting history. Uh, my grandfather lives out in Arizona and has hunted Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, you know, the four corner States. Um, he's come up here to Missouri multiple times. It's kind of where my family settled down, um, here in central Missouri. 
And ever since he's either come out here to travel or traveled out to see my grandfather in Arizona, um, he's always wanted to get immersed into, you know, the American hunting culture. And so he did, um, you know, became an American citizen and, you know, got a rifle, did hunter's ed, all that good stuff. Right. So it comes time for us to go out like on his first deer hunt. Um, and now that I'm thinking about it, I believe he was actually here in Missouri. We used to own a farm down in Hartsburg, which is about 25 minutes south of Columbia. Um, we owned 80 acres out there. And, you know, so he decided to come out to Missouri, bought an over-the-counter, um, you know, non-resident tag. And uh, we set out to hunt. He was successful. And, uh, you know, we're all back at the shop processing it. And um, we had talked before this that, you know, I think you guys had all agreed that when you had harvested your first deer to, at least in my family, to, uh, as a respect to the animal and also, um, I don't want to say that it's to prevent bad luck per se, but essentially you take a bite out of the heart of that first harvest, right? So I, I ate uh, a piece of the heart of my first deer that I killed. Um, so we told Jamie this. And he was like, all for it, right? And <laughs> we also had mentioned, my dad always joked with me that my first turkey I killed, that I would have to eat the snoot off of the turkey. I'm like, Dad, I'm not doing that. I don't care if I have, like, bad turkey hunting luck the rest of my life. I'm not eating that dangling piece of skin coming off of the front of that turkey. I'm just not doing it. <laughs> Which, you know, luckily I got fans behind me that, you know, I've had success. So I guess it wasn't uh, a bad omen on I don't know. Maybe I would have killed more turkeys had I yeah. snoot, but I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm not doing that. <laughs> so Jamie, um, we, the, you know, the deer's hanging in dad's shop and, you know, we're all smoking a cigar and, you know, drinking a beer or whatever. And, um, dad had actually saved the, uh, he was going to play a prank on, on Jamie. Um, <laughs> but not only was he going to have to take a bite out of the heart, but he, his first deer that he'd harvested here in Missouri was a buck. So, um, dad had ended up saving the, uh, the genitalia, um, from this book that, uh, you can see where this is going. Right. And so, you know, we're all sitting around and it got like awkwardly quiet. Right. And so dad pulls this out from, I don't even know where it was. I may have been in his pocket and he kind of slaps it up on the table and everybody just kind of looks around. Right. And Jamie, dad did not I swear dad did not say a word. Jamie says, so I got to eat that, eh? And dad was just like, he did not say anything. And he was like, Jamie pulls out his phone. I'm not joking. He pulls out his phone, hands it to my dad, and he goes, well, will you record it? And dad's like, oh, hell yes, I'm recording oh, it. <laughs> <laughs> so Jamie picks this deer dick up, right? And just starts going to like gnawing on it, trying to like get a bite out of this thing and stretching it out and all that other crazy stuff. And my dad is dying laughing at this, right? <laughs> oh and he's like, oh, you know, it's really not, just giving all these comments, Darren. He's like, oh, you know, it's really not that bad. And he's just trying to, you know, gnaw it off and get a bite off. And he pulls his pocket out and he lops off a piece of it and finally chews it up and swallows it down. And <laughs> as soon as he finishes swallowing it down, my dad goes, you didn't have to do that, Jamie. <laughs> and then he was like, are you kidding me, man? And so ever since then, we've always joked to Jamie about um, how instead of eating, a, you know, taking a bite out of the heart, uh, Jamie <laughs> ate the dick off of his first deer. 
<laughs> oh man. So yeah, only a uh, only a Canadian. So that is the best. That tops it all. That's yeah. That <laughs> so I guess if you have a buddy that you want to take hunting and you're like, you know what, we need to play a prank on this guy. Uh, that's the prank. That that can be the prank right there. Is uh, oh my god, that is subtly. fantastic. Yeah. Even all, I mean, better. Even better if you have somebody you don't like. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I mean, I'm all for getting people immersed in hunting, but I don't know if I'd take somebody that I don't like. <laughs> Absolutely. There's you a. Too, right. Do what? I said you got to enjoy it too, man. That's that's yeah. true. That's true. I, I think what I might do um, is maybe I'll post. I'll take screenshots of this, and so and post it on Instagram. Um, that way, people can can read it because it's it's such a good story i know i left so many different details out that, that's, that's amazing man. Oh, yeah dude, dude, it was, i want to read through it, it. Was such a good story and oh, that's amazing oh that's awesome before we sign off i did want to bring up that this weekend is the state free fishing weekend for the uh state of missouri so you can go fish anywhere state parks uh, even if they require a trout tag throughout the year you don't have to have that for saturday or sunday uh i'm probably going to be driving up to roaring river and trying to catch some trout myself but uh it's one of my favorite weekends of the year good deal yeah i mean roaring river roaring river sounds like a great time man it is it is uh Austin, Dakota, do y'all want to plug y'all's social media if anybody wants to reach out to you uh, just to get to know more about you or for your event on the 17th? Absolutely. You can find us, um, Tactical Approach Outdoors, on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and um, our website, tacticalapproachoutdoors.com. The link to our workshop is on our website. So um, if you're interested in that and getting some more information about that, that will be the information for that will be on the website. If you want to register, go for it. Uh, hope to see you there. So if you have any questions about who we are, or you just want to, to chat with us, you know, we'd love to hear from you in the comments or even shoot us a message. Yeah. So, so don't, don't hesitate. You got questions about hunting, anything. Don't hesitate to shoot us a message, and um, we'll be here from you. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, check out their class, guys. Check out their stuff. Uh, at least look at their YouTube. Um, man, since uh, Dakota and I are actually coworkers, and uh, he brought up the their stuff to me a while ago, and man, just good content. Definitely check it out. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's great having you on, guys. Really, really, really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, we'll need to uh, we'll need to have you guys back on uh, when it, you know gets a little closer to deer season. And um, you know, as you said, you guys are trying to complete the uh, the the slam for uh, for whitetail. So um, you have to maybe call us from the road, do a little road show or something like that. To Absolutely, give us an update on how things are going, good, bad, or otherwise. That's a deal. Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. Good deal. Always welcome, guys. For sure. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us, for sure. I definitely enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thanks for having us, guys. Of course. All right, thank you all. Absolutely. Okay, so Cole, another week. Uh, appreciate you all coming on. Uh, follow, like, subscribe on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram, at MizzouPod. And as always, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. 
Go Tigers. Y'all take care.